Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today's guest is someone that I stalk on Instagram. Her words are beautiful. Her insights into human nature, our minds and how to be kinder, respect ourselves more. Um, Some of my favourite on the internet. I'm talking about Dr. Rebecca Ray. If you don't follow her yet, quickly jump on and do it now. Dr. Rebecca Ray is a clinical psychologist, author and speaker And two and a half years ago, her wife and Rebecca decided to welcome a baby into this world. For Rebecca, though, it was something she didn't really ever think she'd do. So I was really interested in talking to her about the transition and the massive identity shift that needed to happen for her to become a mother when it was something that she really didn't think was going to be a part of her life. In the following conversation, though, We really explored how that shift changed the way she felt about her body. After a really difficult pregnancy and struggles falling pregnant, her relationship with her body had changed. And in this conversation, you'll hear how she has put the practices of radical self-respect and kindness towards her body to really begin a new relationship with it. Enjoy. is the Happy Mama Movement, a weekly podcast dedicated to changing the conversation about what it means to be a mother and a woman in this day and age. I'm Amy Taylor-Cabaz, author, mama, and former journalist. After spending 15 years chasing news and burning myself out trying to be superwoman, I realized that I was chasing a dream that no longer served me and since then have dedicated myself to understanding the transition that we go through as women when our whole identity shifts with motherhood. Every week, I will bring you the very best insights and inspiration I can find to help us all change the way we feel about this time in our lives and create a movement that allows us to honour motherhood differently. Dr. Rebecca Ray, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. 
I feel like this conversation is way overdue after being Instagram buddies for a long period of time. <laughs> exactly. And really, the last time we were in contact, even though I do stalk you on Instagram, I love your words. I love the way that you write. Um, you wrote something for my website when it was still Happy Mama about your pregnancy, about the experience of becoming pregnant. And so and that it was two and a half years ago we've just discovered, which I can't mm. believe that that's been the case. So yes, very long overdue conversation. I would love to explore with you what motherhood has been like. You came to motherhood differently than others. Uh, wasn't something you always thought you would do. And now two and a half years in, I'm really interested to explore how it's changed you, what it's taught you. So take us back to the beginning. The beginning was before I fell in love with my wife, where I was very clear on where my life was headed and it wasn't going to include children. Um, it's not that I resented uh, people having children. It's not like I had anything against kids. It just wasn't right for me, um, and I was very clear about that. And, in fact, when I met Nissa, um, one of the first discussions we ever had was around uh, – one of the first intense discussions we ever had was around the fact that I didn't want children. And uh, – we fell in love unexpectedly. I didn't expect to fall in love with a woman <clears throat> at all. That completely turned my life upside down and uh, in the best way because she's the most remarkable human being I've ever met. And what happened over the course of the first couple of years of our love is I started to experience what it was like to be loved in, um, in a container of emotional safety mm. where there were no games, there were no, um, uh, I guess, no repetitive patterns around unhealthy, toxic behaviours that I had experienced in previous relationships where my needs really weren't met and I didn't feel comfortable being my uh, authentic self. And with Nissa, I could be the fullest expression of myself and that was the first time I'd ever let anyone see me in that way and also have that person say, show me more rather than uh, walk away oh my because goodness. I was either too much or uh, not their particular flavour. And so when you're loved like that, it does, well, at least to me, it did certain things to my brain, like open up possibilities that I never actually thought were available to me. And I reached an age where um, we started having a conversation about kids. So we'd been together for about five years, maybe four years at this stage. And um, we had a conversation around what would our 80-year-old selves say around kids? <clears throat> what would our 80-year-olds want to be, want to say and we came to the conclusion over some months of discussion that both of us felt like our 80-year-old self would want to be able to say that we tried. So I guess the next transition of this decision was just let's say we tried and then probably won't work and um, we'll go off and live our amazing life and go to Africa and travel and do things like that. <laughs> But at least you could tick the we tried exactly. that. Yes. Exactly. There was a box that, that we both wanted to tick where we tried. And um, during the period of trying, we tried various methods. And um, 
one of those methods involved fertility treatment, which was horrendous and um, uh, knocked my body for a six and knocked me for a six emotionally, actually. And uh, we got to the point on the last try that I was actually very excited to not have my um, body affected anymore by hormones. And uh, I was actually really, really happy that we were done. And mm. <laughs> very, very excited. I had been very disappointed that I wasn't pregnant in the, you know, months or even perhaps over years of trying. Um, but on this particular t- time, I was so excited to have it over. And um, then <laughs> I found out that we were pregnant and I was pretty annoyed to begin with. <laughs> I was like, damn it. I thought that I was finally going to be free of all this stuff happening to my body. Um but then I had a fairly traumatic um, physical experience of pregnancy. And um, so that in and of itself was an entire journey. And then we welcomed Bennett and I had absolutely no preparation for just how good it would be. Um, wow. I had... I had done some work in therapy around, you know, my my kind of concerns around whether the broken bits of me would affect my ability to um, parent. And so I went and did a whole heap of trauma work and um, did a whole lot of healing, which was the most valuable therapy I've ever done. And um, I still thought that parenting would just be something that we do and we try to do it as well as we can I just for some reason I just couldn't I never made the leap (laughs) to the fact that there would be another human then in our lives that would bring so much joy um just as I so I'm sitting in the car right now because we're actually recording on a day when Bennett's not at daycare and um so I'm tr- I'm hiding in the car so that our <laughs> audio is good. <laughs> and just as I was walking out the door to go and sit in the car, he um, was sitting on Nissa's lap and made this pirate noise at me as I walked past. And just even that, like I just cracked up laughing. This being, this bringer of light, um, I just, I didn't realise what I was missing out on and... I know that we would have gone on to live a beautiful life together without children. But the thing is, you don't know what you don't know. And so now that I that we have him, it's, it's not better, but there's a richness that I am so incredibly grateful for um, that I just never expected. I just never, I don't know. I don't know why I didn't expect it. But I guess. Well, the thing is, I think, and I love this so much, there's so many questions that I want to ask you because as everybody who listens to my podcast knows, I'm obsessed with understanding the massive transformation identity shift that we go through as we become mother, as we become someone's mum. And from having such a clear idea of that's just not who I am to then be in a place now of, I almost, I'm just so grateful that I got to do this, how those um, transitions happened, like how did you support yourself through? Because I'm sure there were times, especially in that terribly hard pregnancy, where you thought, I knew I shouldn't have done this, or maybe you didn't think that, but there were questions of, maybe this wasn't for me, 
Were there moments like that? Yeah, only during the pregnancy, though. Yes. Not once he was born, surprisingly. I, I was actually, because obviously I'm a psychologist, so yes. there's lots of analysis that goes on. I was a bit concerned that um, the physical level of trauma that I experienced during the pregnancy might affect my capacity to bond, but it didn't. Um, and I put that down to the fact that I had an obstetrician gynecologist who was just incredibly brilliant. She was exactly what I needed. She was who I needed um, in that nine, to, uh, ten months, actually all the time before that when we were doing fertility treatment um, as well. And so because I felt held um, and protected and very much supported uh, based on all my choices during the pregnancy, I think that's what helped me to meet Bennett and say, okay, um, let's do this together, little guy. You know, like there's, um, there wasn't a transition where I had to recover to mother, mm. but there is still a transition where I'm recovering physically, if that makes sense. So I feel like I slipped into mothering with him with no um, fallout from the pregnancy, but within myself there's been a fallout. Uh, within my relationship with my body, there's been a fallout. Mm. Do you mind exploring what that is? Um, the, I think what happened during the pregnancy was I lost trust in my body. Mm. So um, I put on an enormous amount of weight because I was basically uh, bedridden. So I ended up having migraines uh, from seven weeks until 22 weeks every single day. Wow. Um, and I was medicated such that I was often knocked out and hospitalized at various times with the pain. And then I had a week off. <laughs> so we got to about 22 weeks and I got like a nice week. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, at the end of that week, I ended up with a 24-hour reflux where I would wake up choking on my own bile and um, tachycardia and um, basically fluid retention because I couldn't drink water without wanting to vomit. So, um, that, and that lasted until the moment he came out. Mm. Um, and I've, I'd never had reflux before. And I, that meant I couldn't lie down. I couldn't get comfortable. It was just, bleh, it was awful. Um, and so that then meant that he came out and me being me, as we talk about the identity shift, a mother was an addition to my my identity, not a replacement for my pre-existing identity. So I still uh, was very much an author, a speaker, a person that consolidates psychological knowledge into accessible terms for um, women who want to live bravely and meaningfully. And so in the first year that he was born, I wrote two books, um, <laughs> And I, I released a course online and did a whole series of things in addition to um, being a mother to a newborn and then a baby. And I, I guess, I mean, baby as in an older baby. Mm. Um, but I guess during that time, what I, what I have experienced is that my relationship with my body sits in the background and it's something that, 
I've had to spend a whole lot of time around working with radical self-compassion to be able to come back to a place where I can do the work and trust the process to come back to my strengths, my flexibility, um, and feel my age again and not 80 years old, you know, (laughs) Um, from not moving for so long. So, yeah, it's been an interesting process, and I think... Well, mothering has been such a joy, there's been a change to my relationship with myself that has involved a whole series of things around um, what if you can approach your body from a place of wonder and curiosity rather than um, societal-driven standards. You know, in the study of matrescence and, and now what I teach we talk about that there's a lot of different entry points into this transformation. For some, it's a real identity crisis around being able to work or being able to have an income, the independence, which was a big thing for me. Others, it's a health crisis. For others, it's a massive change in their relationship to their body and to their um, to their passion, to their sensuality. There's lots of different entry points into these beautiful questions that come from motherhood, which is, who am I now? How do I, as you said, have radical self-compassion? How do I understand who I am outside of what society says I should look like, be like, or do? And so I love it. It's these different entry points into this different, into this awakening in a way. Mm. Mm, I love that. Yes. So if there's someone listening who is in this process and their entry point is very much around their body, I know for many women I've spoken to over the years, there's a lot of um, distrust or frustration or disappointment in their body if any part of the pregnancy or birth or breastfeeding doesn't go naturally, doesn't happen normally. They feel like their body has let them down. So how do we start, if anyone's listening who feels like that, how do we start with that radical self-compassion? What are some of the steps that you've taken to start to heal this relationship with your body that is now different and will always be different from what it was pre-baby, but now is a beautiful new transformation of it? The first thing that I did was um, I very much, um, I, I basically butchered the people, uh, sorry, my following on, on social media. So oh, wow. I, I went and went through everyone that I was following, um, particularly on Instagram, and unfollowed a whole series of accounts um, if they had any, if they were posting material that had any kind of uncomfortable effect for me and my relationship with my body. So um, that was a really freeing thing to do. But that's also about what's happening externally. So I've been very careful around um, the exposure to information and content externally um, about and how that fits for me right now. Then you need to address what's happening internally. Perhaps that's the most important thing of all, really. But I I do think external information um, can be not helpful. So Mm. I started there first and then I... um, Oh, and I also added some uh, 
people to follow who were body body positive and and posted pictures of bodies that looked like mine now Mm. um, so that I could be exposed to the normality and see other people's bodies and go back. But I feel like those curves are beautiful, you know, Mm. Um, rather than have the media tell me what's beautiful. I, I allowed myself to look at pictures of other women's bodies and look at them and go, wow, like from where I'm sitting, I actually love, I love looking at those pictures because I think it represents beauty and strength. And so that, that then allowed me to think beyond the perspective of just how I was looking at myself to um, apply this idea of if you look at somebody else's body that looks similar to yours and you think it's beautiful, then isn't it interesting the way you're speaking about your own body? And uh, I'm talking about internal speech, so I'm very conscious of how I speak around Bennett. Mm. Um, Even though he's a boy, we're, we're... are very conscious of what we say about our bodies around him. Um, And one of the things I would never say is anything (laughs) about disliking my own body. And what that prefaced was a change in internal conversation around my body. And I think that was the biggest um, transformation in terms of stepping into radical self-compassion was no longer standing in front of the mirror and entertaining any kind of internal conversation that was negative around my body. Instead, I uh, started with a neutral conversation, like this just is what it is right now, you know? Mm. And um, my body responded to an incredibly stressful period of time by doing what it needed to do to survive and then having respect for the processes that our bodies go through when we're in survival mode and in threat response mode um, to then come out the other side and go, if I was going to treat myself with compassion and care and nurturing, what would that look like? And what if it wasn't going to be hard? So that's the other thing that I've been using quite recently is what if this doesn't have to be hard? What if it could simply be trusting the process and doing the work to self-nurture? I love how you've said first, it's a very neutral conversation because often I remember years ago when, you know, and I'm talking decades ago when I really started exploring the self-help, self-development kind of genre of books and went down that whole path. It was very much about repeating those positive affirmations to yourself. And they are sometimes a step too far. You can't look in the body, in the body, you can't look in your mirror and tell yourself you are beautiful when three seconds ago you were saying the complete opposite. There has to be almost a stepladder towards that. So those neutral conversations are really important as that first step. Yeah, and also I don't love the term self-love. That's why my book is called The Art of Self-Kindness and not The Art of Self-Love because in my experience, in all my clinical experience actually, you know, most clients I saw had some kind of issue with their self-worth. This is what human beings struggle with most. And if I was to sit them down and go, right, now I want you to stand in front of the mirror and say, I love myself, mm. then most of them would rightly so want to slap me across the face because it's just too much of a leap to be able to ask someone to enter that particular realm of um, believing, you know. And if you're not going to believe the things you say to yourself, 
then I think that sets up a whole series of problematic um, practices where people think that they should be able to say these things. And, um, you know, it's like that whole term, um, whole kind of Instagram um, meme thing of just be happy. Like, oh, it drives me insane um, because human beings aren't wired like that. We can't just think positive. Um, but I do think that we can definitely approach a different internal conversation and that's not around saying things like standing in front of the mirror and saying affirmations like I feel beautiful. It's more around changing the conversation to be one of empowerment and respect Uh, because I do think that everything that underpins self-worth is around self-respect and if you can come at your at your relationship with yourself from a place of nurturing and respect, what would that look like? And therefore, what would it sound like, you know? So instead of the goal being self-love, it's self-respect. Self-respect and self-kindness, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And those, for me, self, self-kindness self in particular then becomes a set of actions. You know, self-respect is a set of actions rather than this um, pretty – Instagram quote around self-love that is apparently a destination that you have to reach. I don't think it's a destination. I think it's a practice. Um, and that's, that's what's changed for me most, I think, in being a mother is what does the practice around my relationship with myself look like? And just to wrap up, what does that look like? <laughs> Can you give us a little uh, screenshot, a little quick snapshot of what does that practice look like when you have a two-and-a-half-year-old? I know your partner works. She's a musician. Is that correct? She is. So, yeah, good memory. So um, I know you're both, you're, you both have very full lives as well as being parents to this beautiful little boy. What does a practice look like for you then? It looks like choosing um, some kind of movement. So for me at the moment, I'm really into yin yoga. I'm writing Mm. my second book of this year, so I'm spending a lot of time at my desk and I can't wait to get in my bolster to open up my chest um, in terms of those beautiful restorative poses. Um, But it's also about spending time on things that we enjoy. We spent the first year of Bennett's life Oh, doing so much working and so much parenting that we almost forgot what it looked like to just do things for us. And then once he started daycare, um, which he loves, we spend moments on those days when he's at daycare for productivity because we both respond really well to getting stuff done. Mm. Um, but that's not everything. We then um, take time to rest and take time to do things that we actually enjoy and then take time to celebrate the process. I think that's my favourite thing um, is that we now very much, um, if something good happens, we very much stop and take a time out of that day to do something that celebrates that. Wow. I love that. A really beautiful reminder. Thank you. I knew this conversation would weave into beautiful places and it did. Uh, I'm really grateful to have heard your experience of motherhood and share it with all of my listeners. Thanks so much, Rebecca. Thanks for having me, Amy. It's a pleasure. As I said at the beginning of this podcast, Dr. Rebecca Ray is one of my favourite writers on Instagram at the moment. I loved this insight she brought into this interview. I know for many of you, the way you feel about your body has changed forever. But I hope that this insight that she's brought, this conversation, this reminder of some practical actions towards 
nourishment and respect for this beautiful body that brought your baby but is forever changed will inspire you to start thinking differently about yourself. Remembering the goal is not this unattainable self-love. It's just the first few steps towards respecting, honouring and being deeply compassionate for yourself instead. In the show notes, I've asked Dr. Rebecca Ray to send me the Instagram accounts she most recommends for body compassion and body awareness. So please click in the show notes for those, as well as links to Dr. Rebecca Ray's books, programs, and amazing words. Until next week, Satnam. Satnam.